Okay, so really excited to be up here and definitely would love to get great feedback from everyone afterwards. So let's get right into it. In our lives, there are so many big decisions. Who are we going to marry? What are we going to study? Where am I going to work? Why, why does this take us so long to decide? Why is this so, so daunting? Well, to put it simply, we don't want to make a mistake. We don't want to do something that was pointless and start all over again. We want to make sure that everything we do is effective, profitable, useful. This desire is good and right. We want to make it count. I actually went through this exact same situation in the later stages of last year, thinking through whether or not I should give a ministry apprenticeship a go. Now, I don't suggest you necessarily model this off of me, but it took me months. Not, not days, not weeks, but months to decide. I spoke to lots of people about to get their thoughts. I kept thinking through all these different factors. Money, family, security. Where was I going in life? I wanted to make sure the decision I was making was, was useful. I didn't want the decision to be a waste of time, and I wanted it to be the best one. <laughs> to keep things short... These past eight months definitely haven't been a waste. And today, I now have the wonderful privilege to share with you all what being useful looks like to God. So how about I pray for us before we get into the passage. Dear Heavenly Father, we humbly come to you to ask for help. Help to see this passage clearly and rightly. Help us to live out the implications of what you have to say to us today. Help for me to speak faithfully so that you are heard. May I just be an instrument used for your glory. If I say anything that is, that is ungodly or, or wrong, then may that just leave our minds. We pray these things in your son's most precious name. Amen. In this passage, we see that servants useful to God speak the truth diligently and lovingly. That servants useful to God take the truth seriously and do not sway. Now, I first opened up this passage, and like a naive young man, I focused solely on this passage. But then immediately, I ran into these words in 2 Timothy 2, verse 14. Remind them of these things. And what first came to mind was, I I wonder who them is, and what are these things Paul is on about? So, knowing context is important, I had to go back and beyond this passage to answer my questions. Fortunately... These past three weeks, we've really been unfolding a nice timeline of what Paul is on about. Very early in the letter, we heard the challenge Paul makes to not be ashamed of the gospel, but to be bold. Then we saw Paul challenge Timothy to hold on to the pattern of sound teaching, the sound teaching of the good news of Jesus Christ, and to entrust this to faithful men and women. And just last week, we heard this line, this momentous news in 2 Timothy 2 verse 8. Keep your attention on Jesus Christ as risen from the dead and descended from David. This is according to my gospel. This news that Paul endures all things for the sake of the elect, for God's people, for Christians. This news that Paul is telling, telling Timothy to remind Christians of. But hang on, for remind Christians, if you reckon you can throw this passage out now because you're thinking to yourself, Oh, I'm not, I'm not a Christian, so this doesn't apply to me, right? This is far from the truth. Through God's word today, you'll see how it's exactly someone like you that has so much to learn from this passage. 
So here we see Paul encourage Timothy to remind Christians of, of these things. These things to be bold, to not be ashamed, to hold on to the pattern of sound teaching. Hold on to the wonderful and good news of Jesus Christ. To not take their eyes from the prize, the central message of the gospel. And in the pages of history, Paul makes it loud and clear what he is all about in chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The raw and real truth that through Jesus Christ alone we are saved. The fact that we need saving in the first place. That guilt you feel when you think to yourself, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. Those times where you look back and think of all the things you've regretted, all the mistakes that you've made. What about those times where the reality of death strikes you, where you see pain and suffering to the loved ones around you? You think to yourself, where am I going in life? What am I doing? That feeling you get when you feel like you aren't worth it. You are. For Jesus Christ has abolished death, died for you and for me. That guilt and shame can be taken away through the blood of Jesus Christ. God loved each and every one of us to the point of death, saving us not by our own efforts, but through Jesus Christ. Now, if you're someone that has not received that salvation that can only come from God himself, then come to Jesus. He is the king of the universe and knows just what you need. This is the truth. And so we see Paul's commitment to see God's people not only be saved in Jesus Christ, but to grow and become complete in God, to let this fundamental truth shape their affections and their lives, becoming useful to God. And this shines here in our passage today. Cling on to the truth. 2 Timothy 2 verse 14. Remind them of these things. Not just a one-off, just hearing the good news of Jesus Christ and that's it, that's enough for me. No, not, not something new either, but something that they've heard before, something to remember. How easy is it for us to sway, to want to hear the next best thing, or to think may, maybe we're wrong about something because everyone else is saying something different? <clears throat> I don't know about, about you, but I'm terribly guilty of this. And the world around us, it's constantly seeking the next best thing. What's new or what's next? One example that's actually quite close to my heart is in science. Now, in science, we know there's some fundamental truths. Things like force equals mass times acceleration, or, or the gravity of the Earth is 9.81 meters per second squared, or, or that the speed of light is 300 million meters per second. These are all basic truths. It's just, just the way the world is. But then as science moves on, we keep looking, we keep trying in the, to discover the next best thing, the next great discovery, the next Nobel Prize, and while there's nothing wrong with this in this context, there are two things we can really take away from this. Everything discovered from here on out actually obeys and follows these fundamental laws or truth. We don't make a discovery that isn't bound to or builds onto this foundation. It gets discredited otherwise. And secondly, our, our eyes and ears grow so easily dull to the discovery of science over time. Way back in the 1600s when Newton made his discoveries, these were some of the greatest discoveries ever made to mankind. These were real game changers. But now in the 21st century, we take it as if it's basic knowledge. 
Rihanna's excited with how life-changing those discoveries actually were. And the same can be said for us as Christians. Everything we discover in God's Word today, everything must be built off the foundation that is found in Christ alone. That it is all about Him. Yet, how easy is it us for not, to not be excited with how amazing this news really is? We think we've heard it all before, to not let it shape our lives, our affections, the way that we are living. We think we need to pad it out to sound more attractive, to add or take parts away from it, to think we've found something new to explain some confusing part in the Bible. Or maybe, just maybe, it's, it's, it's some way to help justify the way that we are living. How easy is it to fall into this trap? But there is serious weight to what we say we believe in as Christians. The temptation to sway from the fundamental truth that Jesus Christ saved us, died on that cross 2,000 years ago because of our rejection of God and defeated death. The temptation to move away from this truth is very real. And so we see Paul challenge Timothy in chapter 2, verse 15 to 16. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed correctly teaching the word of truth. But avoid irreverent, empty speech, for this will produce an even greater measure of godlessness. Swaying from the truth that we have heard today, not just, not just Timothy, but all of us, can and will produce godlessness. The absence of God, a lack of fear for the giver of life, and not seeing God rightly, not seeing him with humility leads to unrighteousness. Such an offense to the giver of life will surely lead to death. So cling on to this truth and do not be ashamed of it. There's no shame if we are committed to this truth, if we are in Christ Jesus. Imagine, imagine you're sitting in an exam and the only question is one plus one. Think, think on that for a second. It's two, right? But what if it was three? All your friends, colleagues, everyone around you has, to, has put three. They start laughing at you, mocking you, shocked. There's whispers, gossip about how you're that weird person that put two as your answer. But you know you do not need to be ashamed, for you have the truth and God is your witness. You have correctly handled the truth. And the same can be said for us who have heard the truth of the gospel. But Paul doesn't end his point here. He gives a vivid illustration for the consequences of swaying from this truth. Yes, in 2 Timothy 2, 17 to 18. Let's have a look. And their word will spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have deviated from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are overturning the faith of some. Ah, yes, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Paul has called them out as deviants. They have moved away from the truth. Now, it isn't, isn't clear as to why they have deviated. Perhaps it was wanting to be popular or wanting to present something new to seem cool. Maybe it was just a desire to justify unrighteous living, living without fear for God. But, but saying that the resurrection has already taken place, claiming that the future hope and life is already happening now, is simply it's just, it's just wrong. It's almost like saying to an engaged couple that they're already married or telling a pregnant woman that she's already given birth. It's like winning the lotto, then going around spending cash like it's nothing before you've even processed the winning ticket. There's just something wrong about that. You're living a lie. And it is through this false teaching we see that the faith of some is being overturned. 
that this teaching is spreading, leading to more and more godlessness, unrighteous living, living in complete ignorance to the creator of the universe. What you believe in shapes what you do, how you live your life. And this over-realized understanding of the resurrection has only led to godlessness. You are of no use to God if what you are teaching, what you are saying, leads to unrighteous living. And so Paul uses the illustration of gangrene to describe the consequences of swaying from the truth of the gospel. Gangrene is when a body part does not get enough blood. It just dies. That body part will literally fall off. I was actually tempted to show pictures. I was Googling them. But man, man, believe me when I say they were definitely not appropriate. But how perfect of an illustration is this? The spreading of gangrene. When the truth is not upheld, when your foundation is not in place, when the very heartbeat of your purpose is wrong, it leads to death. And even more than that, it will spread to others around you. The many lies that the world heard 2,000 years ago and continues to hear to this day leads to death. And just like a body part that has suffered gangrene, without the blood supply that is the gospel, expect death. Okay, let's, let's say you're dating someone. And over time, this person feeds you half-truths. Okay, they say they're going to one place, but they actually go to another. Not too bad. But soon, your partner realizes they can go a little bit further with these half-truths. They push the boundaries a little bit. Just builds. This lack of trust, this lack of the truth, will choke the life out of your relationship. And in the very same way, without the foundational truth found in Christ alone, this will choke the life out of your faith. It will spread. Don't seek teaching or teach anything that does not build on the truth found in Christ alone. You do not need to add or take anything away from the gospel. And do not grow tired or bored of this amazing news. Be diligent and cling on to Jesus. What are you saying about the gospel? What are you saying about what you believe in? Are you hiding the fact that you believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead? I'm sure your workmates will think you're pretty crazy. Or are you hiding the fact that we are all sinners, that we need saving? What about Jesus being the only way? Evaluate what you're hearing from the leaders around you, what you're hearing from me today. Being useful to God means sticking to the truth. Yes, you yourselves want to stick to the truth, but do not let anything that does not build on the foundation laid by Jesus Christ spread like gangrene. You are hearing what Paul is saying to Timothy. And so, are you hearing from your connect group leaders, your pastors, this same truth of the gospel? Now, the burden of handling the truth, of teaching the truth correctly, is daunting and scary. But thankfully, Paul does not end his point here. Instead, right after putting all this pressure on Timothy to teach the truth correctly, while everything around him is falling apart, there's false teachers, people are being led astray. Paul says these words in 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, having this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord must turn away from unrighteousness. Paul acknowledges this burden to teach the truth correctly, and so lovingly reminds Timothy that God is sovereign in all this. God's plans aren't shaken. God is not unconscious to the situation, for he knows those who are his. And there are really 
two points I want to take away from this verse. That as you faithfully and diligently speak the truth, God is going to save people. That through the blunders we have made, the things we have said, God knows us. He knows what's going on. He has got our backs. But also, there are going to be times where you'll have others critiquing you, questioning your position, claiming you don't have the truth. But God will vindicate you if you hold on to the truth found in Christ alone. God knows you are the ones that have the truth, and he is your witness. And in the same way, in Numbers chapter 16, have a look at it later, God vindicated Aaron and Moses from their rebelling Israelites. How amazing it is that we as Christians have this truth, have a God that knows us and will vindicate us from the lies that are all around us. That being useful to God has eternal results rather than being limited to this life alone. Servants useful to God speak the truth diligently. 2 Timothy 2, 20-21. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver bowls, but also those of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now, I live in a pretty large house with nine other guys. It's great. Sounds crazy, but it's great. But we don't have any gold or silver bowls in our house. We don't even have any wood or clay bowls either. So, so what's, what's going on here? Well, I'm sure we all know what it means to have special items. Maybe it's those lucky socks in the drawer back at home or, or that cup you only use on special occasions. Actually, funny story. I was getting dressed this morning and I thought to myself, what am I going to wear? These clothes are the clothes I'm going to wear for my first sermon ever. These are, these are going to be special. And here we see a beautiful analogy where Paul highlights how, can, how you can be a special instrument to God, just like that cup back at home. And whatever background you have come from, God can and desires to use you for good, desires you to be a special instrument to him. There have been many instances in my life where I just felt like, man, that girl is just on another level, just like a gold or silver bowl. I have nothing to offer this team with her around. Or where I, a mere wooden bowl, who has been used over and over again to clean the toilet, is stopping me from serving somewhere. When my past sins make me feel like I can't be useful to anyone, let alone God. Maybe it's my impatience. No, I'm a pretty impatient guy. So I say to myself, I'm just too impatient for that. Or I justify not doing something because of my sin. Paul has something to say about that. Your sin is not an excuse to not serve God. And so the take-home point here is, you can be an honorable vessel useful to God. Don't, don't compare yourself to others. Don't let your past drag you down. You'll be useful if you come to Jesus and actively cleanse yourself of all unrighteousness, godlessness. But being useful to God doesn't just end with sticking to the truth and teaching it correctly. It also involves love. 2 Timothy 2, 22 to 23. Flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart but reject foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they breed quarrels. When I, first, when I first read this verse, flee from youthful passions, I initially thought, 
sex, drugs, alcohol, you know, all that stuff. But then having read the pa- this passage as a whole more carefully, I found myself realizing, man, Paul sure talks a lot about fighting, fighting about words or, or empty words, foolish and ignorant disputes, quarrels. And then it hit me, like a little child asking his parents for a toy he really wants, but being good parents, they kindly say no, reminding him of the many toys he has back at home. But the child not having any of that, he gets upset, he cries, he whines, he argues why he must have that toy, attempting to justify himself. Being immature and too short-sighted to see the truth, the child simply will not have any of it, and stubbornly keeps fighting for his own way, not facing the truth. I thought to myself, where in my life am I likely to fall into youthful passions? And there were just way too many examples of this. Where I just want to win the argument, I end up losing sight of love and become a bully. One example I actually see pretty often is on, is on Facebook. I see a guy who's putting up really hateful posts about Jesus or, or, or bullying a Christian publicly online. Next thing you know, a Facebook battle ensues. I see one comment, then underneath it, I see more button. One click and a giant string of comments battling it out to see who's right and who's wrong can be seen. Don't be a Facebook troll. Don't just try to win an argument. These go nowhere. Reject foolish and ignorant disputes. But this isn't an excuse to keep the truth to yourself. Instead, take the opportunity to be patient and gentle. We are not like the little child that is unwilling to rationalize, unwilling to hear what is at the heart of our opponent. We shouldn't run away from the issue. We shouldn't butt heads with our opponents either. No, we walk alongside them, pointing them to Jesus, pointing them to the truth. Now, when speaking to people about Jesus, speaking to people about the truth, I actually noticed three, three elements. There might be more, but I noticed three things. First, we often think of ourselves first. We think of how do we look, or if I'm good enough, or will I seem weird if I talk to them randomly? But then secondly, we feel convicted by the good news we have. And so we become so fixated on the message, all we care about is telling them the message, telling them the truth. However, as a consequence, we forget a third and essential component. We forget about them, who we are talking to, their story, their circumstance. We forget to love. Yes, we care about how we are conducting ourselves, and we must care about how we're handling the message, but we must also care about the other person, To be useful to God, instruct the truth with both diligence and love. 2 Timothy 2, 24-25 The Lord's slave must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Being useful to God doesn't just involve being able to teach, but, must, but you must be patient and gentle. What areas in your life are you likely to not be gentle? Maybe it's your competitive drive, your desire to win. Or maybe it's in the kitchen, making sure everything is done the right way. I know it's hard. I'm someone who gets so fixated on efficiency that I think I know the best way and end up becoming a bully. I forget to love. But... Paul tags on to the strong truth to be patient and gentle with something even greater. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, 
Now, I often feel like if I say the right things, people will give their life to Jesus. It's so obvious, right? This is the truth after all. Maybe if they come to explaining Christianity, then this is a done deal, locked in. These guys are going to be saved. But repentance can't be forced. Instruct with love, but it's God who grants repentance, not us. How hard is that to hear? Humbling, isn't it? What do we do? This only pushes us to pray. Pray that God may grant those around us repentance. If our efforts went solely into the process of instructing those around us, we may feel frustrated, maybe even lose patience. But it's times like this where we must come to God and pray because he is the one that grants repentance. Let's spend less time arguing and more time in prayer, gently instructing those around us and leaving the results up to God. And so finally, Paul wraps this passage up with this verse in 2 Timothy 2, 26. Then they may come to their senses and escape the devil's trap, having been captured by him to do his will. What more is there to say? Without God, without the giver of life, where truth is found, you are doing the will of the devil. This is no scare tactic. You are either living in light of the truth or living a life that is being choked away, suffering from gangrene leading to death. If you don't know God and you're here today, come back to the God who's offered us the free gift of salvation. If you're a Christian, make sure you don't fall back into this trap of the devil. You've been saved from serving the devil to serve the living and true God. So do you want the big decisions in your life to be useful? Do you want to be useful to God to ensure that our lives have an eternal impact? then speak this truth you have heard from Paul today and all that you are doing. Speak it with love and diligence and you'll be a special instrument, useful to God. How about I pray for us to cling on to this truth, cling on to the truth found in Christ alone and that we may prevent it from preventing any false teaching from spreading. How about I pray for us? Heavenly Father, you are in control of all things. You know just what we need when we need it. We thank you for revealing yourself through your son, Jesus Christ, so that we may have this hope that we have, that you saved us from death and brought us from darkness into light. We pray that, we live out, that as we live out our lives, we may let the truth of the gospel shape our affections and lives. Help us to speak this truth diligently and lovingly to those around us and help us to conduct ourselves in a way that is glorifying to you. We want to be used by you and ask that you help us in all this. We humbly come to you only by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.